Good morning, everybody. I am going to invite everyone to take a deep cleansing breath. Close your eyes if you like. No. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory. Glory, hallelujah. Though this song wasn't written until several centuries after Saul was on his way to Damascus, I can imagine the Christians there singing this song. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen, and yet they have yet to meet Saul. Saul, better known to Gentiles by his Greek name Paul, is willing to travel a 135-mile trek from Jerusalem back up to Damascus just to fulfill his threats in support of arresting or tormenting disciples of the Lord. Could you imagine being persecuted in this way just for being different or having a belief that deviates from someone else or seeing people as a threat simply because of their existence? There are countless examples I can think of where people are victimized in this way today from the shooting in Buffalo to reproductive rights in the overturning of Roe versus Wade, or the resilience it takes to have a month like, like pride to celebrate the queer lives and allies that continue to protest for equity. 135 miles, Saul travels with a planned out attack on Christians. 135 miles for us is like driving two hours from Austin to San Antonio without traffic on a good day. So I can't imagine what it must have been like back then without GPS, without motor transportation, without places to make a pit stop along the way. The way they traveled back then, it would have taken several days tops. Not to mention, this is meant to be a round-trip journey, so the 135-mile trip on the way back to Jerusalem, Saul plans to have all these Christian captives to bring back with him. It sounds like this type of violence took some planning, and the one and only high priest gives Saul approval, not seeming to think twice but permits his actions believing they're good and right. 
or at the very least gives him the go-ahead to enforce his control on a group of people. Does this sound familiar? Saul, a Pharisee, overzealously following tr the tradition he's been taught, because for him, it can't be wrong. He is dedicated to what he sees as following God's law. So Saul is off to Damascus, and when he gets closer, something ruins his plans and throws him off on what I'd like to say or call his high horse. He is overcome by a glaring light in Jesus's voice. Up until this point, I wonder how many times Saul has denied the nudges that God was saying, hello, I'm trying to get your attention. Yet, while ignoring God's voice, just maybe that didn't work. God spoke through a light so bright, it made him blind for three days. And soon after gave Saul instruction that he could not help but feel called and compelled to proclaim to both Jews and Gentile that Jesus is Lord. This is the moment often depicted as Paul's conversion or call story, and it just made me think about those moments early on in ministry for me, or even in seminary, where we were often prompted to think about our call and comparing it to stories like Paul, which I think honestly has the possibility to be a dangerous thing that can create a mentality that my calling is better than yours. For instance, just because I am an ordained minister does not mean the title I've gained makes me better than anyone else living out their call in a different, a different way. Whether it's to be a writer, to be a stay-at-home mom, to work part-time, or to not work at all. I've heard a lot of people say, if I didn't have an experience like Paul, was I even called at all. I just really need to say we all have value and purpose despite what our job title is or how much money we make or if we have a spouse or little children that call us dad or mom, we all distinctly and uniquely build up the kingdom of God by being our authentic divine selves, by using our gifts and our passions by listening to the ways God moves and breathes within us. Many times I think we can slowly wind up walking in our purpose in a way that glorifies God without having a Damascus Road experience declaring this is my call. Yes, I've felt God nudging, directing, and redirecting me several times, but I don't want to go blind just to say that I'm called. While sometimes necessary or as a last resort, you don't have to hit rock bottom to find your call. If you relate to Paul, that's great, and if you 
don't, that is also okay. Okay, back to Paul. So he goes blind, having no eyesight, and can only depend on other people to help him while waiting on instruction from God. Yet, while blind, this appears to be the only way that Saul can care to see and acknowledge the Lord. Thankfully, this time, the Christians in Damascus can sing a more joyful song. They won't have to sing a song like nobody knows the trouble I've seen back to Jerusalem, at least not because of Saul. So I'm curious how many of you all have heard this song before. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. There are several different covers of the song from Lena Horne to Sam Cooke to Mahalia Jackson and my personal favorite, Louis Armstrong. Snippets of the song appear in movies like The Lion King, when Zazu, the little bird that is often watching over Simba, sings it in captivity to Scar. Or <clears throat> if there are any Fresh Prince lovers, Will Smith sings it after being falsely imprisoned with Carlton while driving a family friend's car. Nobody knows. The Trouble I've Seen is an African-American spiritual that originated during the time of slavery, though it wasn't published until 1867. This song was birthed out of pain, but sung to remember hope. A song created while during enduring enslavement where even after freedom is enacted, the law still finds new ways to keep people enchained even today. This reminded me of an episode of Oprah's Masterclass. I don't know what it is about Oprah, but she keeps making my, her way into my sermons like this one and the one that I preached last month on a show on, on, on an Oprah's Master's Class show, it features the late Congressman John Lewis. He tells his story of advocating for equity from his lifespan life at that time back to the 1960s. 100 years after slavery has ended and civil rights leaders are still fighting for rights to be considered equal. Before he was a congressman, at a very young age, he became a civil rights leader in his late teens. Known for working alongside MLK, leading the front line from Selma to Montgomery and participating in the sit-in movement, Lewis says, quote, I was inspired to get in trouble good trouble. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have a moral obligation, you have a mission, you have a mandate to speak out. 
to speak up, not just for yourself, but to liberate others, end quote. He was first arrested as an 18-year-old college student demonstrating at a nonviolent sit-in. He went to jail during the sit-in, but describes his arrest as liberating, saying that's when he really felt free. Not because he was arrested. Of course, nobody wants to be arrested, but he came to a point where he thought, if this is the price we must pay for people to be free, to be liberated, to be whole, then it is a price we must pay. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. The week after Aurelia preached a sermon entitled, Beautiful Heretics, The Survivors, I went home singing that song. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. It just popped in my head Initially, I didn't even know I was singing it. If you weren't there for Aurelia's sermon, mind you, this was February 2018. This sermon deserves another listen and a listen again. It was one of the most important sermons I've heard. She spoke about, she spoke about and against sexual assault and sexual violence. When oftentimes in the church, all you hear is crickets. In true peace of Christ fashion, she made room, providing space to share our truth. It made room for pain, for grief, for love, for empowerment, much like today in her communion liturgy. Toward the end of that sermon, as Aurelia spoke, God's spirit started speaking to me. Something about it gave me a true sense of what I was going to say then and even now. In many ways, the civil rights movement reminds me of what we've seen with Me Too and the countless ways activists fight for freedom today. Maybe, that's why I went home singing that song. Sexual assault and sexual violence. It's all over the news and even how it pervades in this conversation for a pregnant person's right to choose what is best for their livelihood. More and more women and survivors of sexual assault are fighting for justice, to be heard, to be treated with dignity, to be believed. And I know a woman, a survivor, matter of fact, I probably know several, some who have remained silent, who have yet to tell their story. The woman I know who doesn't have to turn on the TV screen to feel the pain and anguish that so many are beginning to express. After she was sexually assaulted, she remained silent, feeling ashamed. She 
He was asked, what took you so long to report it? She was blamed. You shouldn't have been there in the first place. She was isolated, saying nobody understands the trauma I am trying to explain. She wondered, how could God let this happen to me? So today, I publicly remind you all of my connection to the Me Too movement because the woman that I've just described is me. I am glad to advocate for myself and for others. And while it's been a difficult part of my journey, it also gives me the opportunity to push the narrative forward. Sometimes as tough as it is to tell your story, it is necessary. It's not only important for yourself, but for others. I cannot remain silent and expect to see justice. I cannot fully advocate for others without speaking and standing in my truth. So if you know of anyone struggling from any type of abuse or wants to learn about what abuse looks like, there is a book that I'd like to suggest. It is called Healing from Hidden Abuse by Shannon Thomas. This book was an invaluable part of my healing process. It takes great courage for a person who has experienced sexual violence or has experienced any type of abuse at all to come out of silence and tell their story. Often survivors experience emotional and psychological abuse before it ever becomes sexual or physical. The harm done goes far beyond an incident or incidents of sexual assault because the psychological abuse experienced affects the mind, the body, and the soul. It's a process of relearning and re-engaging self, God, and the world. I had a friend tell me once that surviving the surviving can be harder than the abuse itself. And at the same time, there's a meaningful rebirth that has evolved from the pain I've experienced that's given me the ability to have a new lens. So when you see me talking about what might be considered taboo, taboo topics with sex or kink, positivity, or reimagining relationships and all the misconceptions that come with those labels, for me, it's through the lens of consent and the expansion beyond the things we've been taught that can be helpful or unhealthy. I could truly preach a whole other sermon on these things alone. But when I think of Paul's road to Damascus experience for me, it is more than just a call or conversion story, but it takes us through Paul's journey of spiritual awakening and growth. 
His perspective of God is shifted and drastically deepened. And while a lot of us may not have had to literally go blind in order to see, we've had moments on our spiritual journey that have shaped us into who we are today. So I am reminding us to continue to acknowledge and listen to each other's stories. When we listen without judgment, without shame, we learn how to welcome and make space to share our stories of joys, of grief, of pain. There might be someone around you that is yearning to speak out but does not feel empowered because they are nervous about what you might, might say. Make room for them. Talking about these issues is a start towards forward progression. The late Alice Walker, a feminist, a womanist, writes, quote, The most common way that people give, us that give up their power is by thinking they don't have any, end quote. Your voice gives you power. If you remain silent forever, it's almost as if you have none. So take the time you need to do what's best for you. But when you're ready, exclaim your truth, no matter what anyone else thinks of you. No. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. 